Aaron, what's up, bro? All right, how many of you guys know uh, what's been going on in the news with, uh, with Muslims? ISIS is the big one, right? Um, you know, when we were talking about the, uh, um, the Supreme Court ruling about homosexuality, uh, marriage, or homosexual marriage, uh, that same week, ISIS attacked four places. Or three, I'm sorry, three places at, uh, um, all over the globe. One was in Tunisia. 37 European tourists in Tunisia, on the beach in Tunisia, uh, were killed. And 36 were wounded. It's either vice versa. 37 were 36 were killed and 37 were wounded or vice versa. Um, in France, um, there was an attack. And then also in, uh, um, um, I keep forgetting the third place. What? It wasn't Belgium. I keep forgetting the third place. Um, anyway, but they, they had this concerted attack. And also, you guys have seen, maybe in your Facebooks, uh, uh, Facebook uh, um, pages, you guys have seen um, Christians being executed, right? Beheaded, um, killing children, right? Have you seen that? ISIS is doing that. Um, my Facebook is, is filled with that kind of stuff because I have a lot of, like, um, university students and all that kind of stuff in there. And they, they all talk about that. Hey, Robin, will you turn off that amp? Um, so how many of you guys think, uh, uh, have concerns about Muslims or I Islam I at all? Well, anything like fear or they're taking over or what are we going to do about them? What, what, what does God think about them? Like, does anybody in here, like, do people have those kind of, or is it just kind of a distant thing? Jim? Right, right, that is the question. Anybody else? How many of you guys know Muslim people in your school, like Muslim kids? And, and how do they seem to you? Normal people, right? Right. I don't know if you guys realize this, but the U.S., Europe, all of these, these, these places that are dealing with uh, the influx of Muslims, they are starting to have very, very, um, uh, very strong opinions about Muslims, including the church. Right now, there's two major crises uh, that's, that's hitting the church, homosexuality and Islam. Now, the thing about us in here is that because you probably don't deal with a lot of the social media or the media that, that you hear about, uh, that other people hear about, about Muslims, you probably don't even think about it. But the fact of the matter is the church is responding to Muslims the same way the church is responding to homosexuals. So last week when we were talking about LGBT, right, and talking about the way the church needs to respond, our response, the church is responding the exact same way, I mean in a bad way, towards Muslims. Because they see Muslims as all terrorists. You guys ever, ever see that? Like, especially you, you feel this kind of way in the airport, right? In the airport, you sit next to a Muslim man, obviously Muslim, right? Maybe a, a beard, a hat, you know, like you're just dressed in traditional garb. You, you, a lot of people, you would feel the tension around you. Everyone would be uncomfortable. Is he going to blow up our plane? Does he have a bomb? Did a TSA search this person? Right? They've, you have that natural, natural feeling more in airports than anywhere else. But the fact of the matter is the church is very, very, very concerned about Muslims right now. So what we're going to be talking about today, you might have to just store in your brain and realize that this is what the church is thinking right now so that you can shape 
in the future what the church thinks about Muslims then when you become church leaders, elders, and deacons and such. You get what I'm saying? But this is a big deal. This is a big deal. I'm going to tell you a story. I, we don't have internet in here. It's driving me crazy, but there is, uh, I do this podcast about, called Truth About Muslims. Has anyone ever listened to it? I think like one or two people in here, three people have listened to it. I do this podcast, and now we're up to like 5,000, 4,000 downloads and maybe 1,000 plays a, a month. So it's like, it's, it's pretty cool. And uh, what we do is we interview like experts about Islam. Trevor is my, um, my friend who's uh, my boss actually too. Um, and I do all the radio, the, the pro sound production or whatever, pr producing it. And then uh, we both interview these experts and we talk about Islam in the church. And uh, this one guy named David Garrison, he came in and he tells us a story about this guy named Ahmed. Ahmed was this kid, <laughs> it's weird. His parents, right, they wanted him to become an imam. Does anyone know what an imam is? And the imam is a, a, like a, a Muslim religious leader, a Muslim pastor for, you know, so it'd be like their kid, the parents wanted their kids to be a pastor. So what they did is they drove in the middle of the night, took him, Ahmed, took him in the middle of the night and threw him in a madrasa. A madrasa would be like a Bible college or a seminary. They threw him into the madrasa and drove away. And so he didn't know where the madrasa was. He didn't know where his home was. They just hoped that he wouldn't be able to come home and he would just stay there and become an imam. And they did this because they believed that in, uh, if one of your, uh, your children become an imam, he's able to save seven members of your family, like getting them into heaven, you know, like Allah, your judgment day, right? So seven people would get saved. So if he become, and they had seven people in their family. So if he became an imam, they're like, we got it. So out of their, all of their kids, they wanted one to become an imam. So they would throw him into the madrasa at night and drive away like as fast as they could so he couldn't chase after them and try to get home. He found his way home. <laughs> he did. He, like, he was just wandering the streets. He find, eventually came, like in a different town, I think. He finally made his way home, and he shows up, and they're like, well, you know, I, I don't think that their family was probably functional. And they did it again. And this is when he's a little boy. He's like five, six, seven, something like that. He's like a little kid. And they drove him in the night, threw him into another madrasa, a different one, because now he knows the way home. And then they drove away again. This time he didn't find his way home. And he was stuck in the madrasa, became an imam. <laughs> Isn't that freaking nuts? He became an imam. And then, uh, uh, and then this is in Afghanistan. And then he was, uh, um, he was forced to join the military. And, um, and the military wasn't like a, um, a military in the United States, like fight for our country. It was an Islamic uh, militant group. And he was forced to do terrible things. And one of the things that he said that he did that really just was the breakdown of his soul was he took this baby, uh, like a one-year-old child, girl, right? And the baby was holding on to his, uh, his finger. And he stabbed a poison knife into her body and, and killed the baby while he was holding her. And, and then he was made to do like all these atrocities in the name of Allah, right? And you know like in Bible college, you'll go through like classes and stuff like how do you study the Bible and all this kind of stuff, right? How do you interpret the text, right? That's the kind of stuff we studied. How do you teach it, right? He was taught how to clean uh, a rifle, a, sh uh, um, a machine gun, how to shoot targets, um, how to capture, you know, enemy targets. Right, that's what he was taught in, in this madrasa that the, his parents had thrown him into. So finally the day came where he was forced to, they, they were grabbing um, this, uh, someone that's an apostate, like somebody that's like, we're, like, we're against him. They grabbed him and they said, um, here, Ahmed, here's a sword. You need to chop off this guy's head. 
and they're all screaming around him like Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, you know, like, and, and he's like, I can't do it. And they said, if you do not chop off his head, we will chop off your head. And he's like, then you're going to have to kill me. And he ran away. And he went AWOL. He left. And he went back to his hometown. And uh, before he had left from that, from that hometown, because by now he's an adult, of course. Before he'd left his hometown, um, a missionary had moved into their town and was trying to share the gospel with people. And he didn't know where else to go. Um, in fact, he had planned earlier to kill that missionary, but he never ended up doing it. He actually let the missionary go. He had actually captured the missionary, and he was going to kill him, but then he had let the missionary go, and then he went into the military. But he didn't know where to go, so he went to the missionary's house and slept on his couch for a week. And he was so exhausted and like weakened from running away. You know, from it's a, Afghanistan is a big mountainous region. Finally making it back to the missionary's house, he just basically slept for a week and just started having conversations with this missionary. And he becomes convinced that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That it's not Islam, that the, they were teaching him in the Quran. So he puts his faith in Jesus and then he comes back to his family. Um, and he says, hey, when, you, when I was a child, you threw me into the madrasa. When I came back, you said that I was your spiritual leader and that you would do whatever I said spiritually. Is that still true? And they said, yeah. We will follow you, whatever you say. Spiritually, you, d you lead this family because you're the imam. And he says, then we will, our family will believe in Jesus. And he led his family to the Lord. And this isn't just like some story that was, you know, like heard rumors. Like the, the guy uh, who wrote the book, he had all of these accounts of saying, yes, this is true. This is what happened in his life. He interviewed all these people. But this is true about Ahmed's life. The deal is this. However you feel about Muslims, however you feel about any group that you might not like or distrust or remember we talked about two weeks ago racism uh, LGBT you're gonna find more and more people or the church uh, filling their hearts with prejudice or hatred or or, um, or not even having a desire to share the gospel with that person because they don't want those kind of people to be in heaven but the fact of the matter is God his spirit is moving all over the world and the fact of the matter is if the church doesn't get on board and actively pursue what God is doing, finding what God is doing and joining him, then we will be left behind. We will be obsolete. Now, I want to say something about Pastor Hong's message. I want to clarify Pastor Hong's message. If you guys were in the EM, Pastor Hong was talking, you know, the, the general, like, um, patriotic, God needs to bless our country, we are a Christian nation, all this kind of stuff, that's all lies. We are not a Christian nation. We've never been a Christian nation. The reason is, it's because nations are not Christian or non-Christian. They have no soul. People are Christian. Does that make sense? God has no desire to honor America above himself. Right? I do agree that the United States needs revival, but not because America is going to be great and all of our, the blessings will be poured upon us, but because we need to live and glorify God in every way possible. And we are not doing it. And when I say we, I'm not talking about America. I mean we as in the church. We are leaving God behind. We are going for our own agenda. We're trying to make uh, America into a nation that makes us comfortable, where we don't see um, a man kissing another man. We don't care about souls. When we don't, when we, when, when uh, we can go into the airport and not worrying about the planes blowing up, and I get that, that's important, right? Pre preservation of life. But we also need to care about those souls. The souls are, are the thing that God has called us to. And if the church does not respond, 
he will leave us behind. The church will be obsolete. You know what the church is in Europe? Everyone brings this up. Like if you listen to churches, you go to pastors, uh, uh, hear sermons all the time. They're talking about America's going the way of Europe. The church is dying all over, the, all over Europe. Uh, the, the fake church is dying in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. The fat of Europe is dying. All of the Christians that are just uh, cultural Christians that just go to church because their parents made them go to church. Yeah, that part is dying. In the U.S., the, the, it, we, we will go the way of Europe, but there is always this remnant. Never, ever, ever doubt that God is on the move, that God is moving. All we have to do is join him. Does that make sense? Find out what God is doing. And if you don't know, ask. Ask experts. ISIS is one of those situations that people think, oh, well, every, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. This is, this is the end of the world. It is not the end of the world. We have a lot of nations to go, a lot of ethnic groups. We have a lot of people groups. We have a lot of languages to share the gospel with. The end of the world is not near. Don't go hiding in your holes because a lot of Christians are responding that way. They're afraid of everything that moves. That is not who we are. That is not who God called us to be. And I, you know, I understand what Pastor Hong is thinking. I think a lot of Americans think that way. This is all about the glory of the U.S. You know, it makes it sound like that. You know, like this is a Christian nation. But let me make no mistake. America is not Israel. And we say that. I'm going to show you some passages. We say that because we think we superimpose like Israel. You remember who Israel was? Israel was what? God's what? God's chosen people. Right? So we impose that on ourselves. We think all of a sudden, okay, because we're Americans, now we're God's chosen people. Right? So every, all the blessings, uh, Pastor Hong shared Second, uh, Second Chronicles uh, 17, right? Um, Second Chronicles that, you know, God, if we repent, if we pray, God will heal our land. That was, that was a promise to Israel, not to America. We must not get that confused. And the church is not Israel, political Israel, like the nation of Israel. We are a spiritual Israel. So that, that verse, uh, 2 Chronicles, you know who that belongs to? You know who that's talking to now? It's not talking to America. It's not even talking to political Israel. Who is it talking to? The church. The church is the spiritual Israel. In Matthew, oh, I'm sorry, in, uh, let me go to Romans. It says, uh, Galatians 3, 7, this is Paul writing, for they are not all Israel, which are Israel. What is Paul saying? Not all Jews are actually Jewish. Not all Jews are actually Israel. He's talking about a spiritual Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham and they're all children, but the, ch uh, the children of the promise are counted for Israel. The children of the promise, that's us. We are the children of the promise. So we are a spiritual Israel. So when it says Second Chronicles, God will heal the land, he's not talking about physical land. He's not talking ab about America. He's talking about uh, the church, healing the church. If we repent, if we pray, God will bring revival. He will bless us for his glory. So we have to stop becoming so ethnocentric about America. Now, I think a lot of you in here probably do not have that problem, but you're going to hear a lot of people talk about that. America, right? Your Facebook's probably filled with it. Everyone's talking about the Confederate flag, right? Coming down in South, South Carolina. That's all South Carolina is talking about right now. So you have this identity crisis. Are we Christian? Or are we America? Or if you're really crafty, you can impose uh, Christianity on top of America so we are now Christian America. But that is a lie. 
there is only the church and not the church. If we are not the church, uh, then we don't, we don't, I don't worry so much about the unbelievers. That's why the homosexual issue is not a big deal to me. Gay marriage is not a big deal to me. All I care about is souls. I don't care about whether gays, uh, uh, gays can marry or not. Does that make sense? I, I, I say this a lot, I think, for like a lot of the college students. I think um, that we have got to stop becoming so ignorant. We talked about this last week with the LGBT. If you're not reading, if you're not studying, if you're not talking to actual intelligent people that have actually thought these things through, then you will go the way of everyone else on your Facebook or on my Facebook. I'd love for you to look at my Facebook. It's, 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 it makes me want to throw up. There's no spirit of God in those Christians that are, that are spouting this stuff. They're worried about things that are distracting them, and they're not doing the things that, that need, need to be done. They just want to talk about it. They're not preaching the gospel. They're not, they don't care about souls. They only care about their comfort. And I know this is coming off strong, but the fact of the matter is I do not want you to be the same way. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What does that mean? The Muslim is not our enemy. The homosexual is not our enemy. It is a spiritual battle. There are demons that handle different areas, jurisdictions, if you will. They have authority in certain areas, right? Do not be blinded by people. Remember that they are always souls to be saved, right? Through the Holy Spirit, not you. You can't save people's souls, right? All right, so let's talk about Muslims really quick. What do Muslims believe? God is Allah. Do you know what Allah means? God. Do you know what the Arab word for God is? Allah. So if, if you bring an Arab to the Lord, do you know what he's going to call God? Allah. And it shouldn't offend you or scare you. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, it just means God. Even our word God doesn't even come from, like, English or, it, you know, it, it was another name for another God. That's a little bit uncomfortable for another time, another topic. <laughs> Number two, Muhammad is his prophet, okay? Muhammad is the guy. This is 600 A.D. approximately around that time, 600 A.D. Um, he gets this vision, this, and he thinks it's a demon at first but basically outlining to him what uh, uh, this, this new religion, Islam, right? But make no mistake, Muhammad was very, very influenced by Jews and Christians. That's why a lot of the Quran is filled with uh, Jewish, um, well, like Old Testament stuff, a lot of it, and New Testament stuff. Did you know uh, that uh, uh, the, the Muslims consider um, uh, the Gospels holy books, the Injil? Did you know that Jesus is one of his prophets, Isa? So if they say Isa, if they're, if they're praying to Isa, it's praying to Jesus, and they're probably a Christian because they don't usually pray to prophets. Yeah? Um, they're very, very similar to Christianity. In fact, some, some scholars would actually say that uh, Islam is just a sect of Christianity. And the thing that they've missed, the one thing that they've really missed is that Jesus Christ died on the cross and, and is the salvation. They, you know, Muslims are all about the works. Actually, it's not, that's not true all the way. Um, they do all these good deeds on a scale. Literally, it's a scale, right? And if they do enough good deeds on Judgment Day, Allah will judge, but he still might throw you into hell. Uh, so it's all up to Allah, but it's, it's all based, based on works. And so they're saying that, uh, that Islam is a lot like Judaism in that regard. Um, 
they don't believe that Jesus died on the cross. Some of the books, like the Hadiths and stuff like that, they say that Muhammad believed that, uh, um, that God uh, cloaked Jesus' face and gave uh, Jesus' face um, to Judas, and Judas was crucified on the cross. So, but it's interesting. Um, okay, so why terrorism? And this is really interesting, okay? The terrorism part, it started in Colorado. I know, weird, right? Because it's a Muslim world. It's not in Colorado. But it started in Colorado. It started with this guy named Syed Qutb. And that's the picture. That's Syed Qutb. He's in jail there. Syed, Syed Qutb was a medi uh, mediocre, a, um, not a mediocre uh, Muslim, uh, what um, an apathetic Muslim. He was, um, um, just wasn't really like following Allah, right? He wasn't following all the rules of, of Islam. And he's taking a boat over to the U.S. Um, to go to school. And get this, he comes to the U.S., right, on the boat, he meets a Muslim, he realizes he's going to a Christian nation, what Muslims, Muslims think if you're not Muslim you're, uh, and you're from America, you're, you, you, you're from a Christian nation. And everything that Christians do is, uh, I mean, everything that Americans do is Christian, which is partly why they hate the West so much. So, like, any television shows you see that gets exported, they think that's all Christians, that's what Christian, Christians do. Um, Justin Bieber. Um, Britney Spears, um, uh, who else is famous? Like all these, Beyonce, they think all of them are Christian, by the way. Movie stars, all the crazy stuff that they do. Um, Bruce Jenner, or Caitlyn Jenner. Um, like they would think that that's what Christians do, just to let you know. Uh, anyway, so um, Syed Kutub gets on a boat, travels over to the US, um, goes to Colorado, right? And doesn't meet any true Christians. For some reason, on that boat, he meets a Muslim guy, realizes he's going to a Christian nation, and decides to recommit to the Lord. Kind of like what you guys do, uh, recommit to Allah, right? Kind of what you guys do, like when we're on retreats, you guys cry, and you're like, I'm going to follow you forever, Lord, right? That's what Sayyid Qutb did, but he did it with Allah. So he follows Allah, right, and he becomes more and more strict. And then he sees racism. He, see, he has one black friend, and he goes into this diner, and they won't serve him. They won't serve his black friend. They'll, they'll serve him because they don't, well, they asked him if he was black, and he says no. They said, okay, you can eat here. Um, but they wouldn't let his, uh, his black, black friend, of course, this is like in the, um, during that, er that era, right? The 60s, 50s and 60s, around that time. And so um, he gets really angry at the Christians. He doesn't find one Christian that will have a meaningful conversation with, become friends with him. And so he becomes more and more angry at the West, at how decadent they are, how sinful they are, how you know, like um, depraved they are, and so he starts to write this book called Milestones. And this, mi the book Milestones, you should read it by Zayed Kutub, uh, becomes the manifesto for all fundamental uh, Islam. And w if you don't know what fundamentals, all the terrorism, those guys are fundamentalists. They want Islam or the Muslim world to be like it used to be back in the day when they killed people, chopped up their hands, chopped up their heads if they sinned, and stuff like that. They want Sharia law, which is the law by according to the Quran and the Muslim faith. Syed Qutb, he goes back to Egypt, and he becomes part of the forming of the Muslim Brotherhood, which is still there, and writes a ton of fundamentalist writings. He becomes really, really big. And then all of these crazy Muslim people, terrorist people, they, they, they grab onto it, they latch onto it, and they start to make it happen. Fast forward to today, you have something called ISIS. Anybody know what ISIS stands for? IS stands for Islamic State. And then the other IS is Iraq and Syria. 
um, or ISIL, um, Iraq, or Levant. And Levant is just a region of the world. It's, uh, it's from the Mediterranean all the way to the uh, eastern border of I uh, Iran. So that whole area. What they're trying to do, get this, they're trying to unify that entire land and make a new pope, it's called a caliph, a new pope for all of Islam. And so the leader of ISIS, he told basically the Muslim world and the world, I am the caliph, I am the new caliph. And so he's trying to unify all of Islam, right? Which you, Islam is ex extremely divided. You think Christians are divided. Muslims are infinitely more divided um, than Christians. And they kill each other too for it. And so that, that was the birth of modern terrorism. 9-11, right? With uh, uh, Osama bin Laden, all that kind of stuff. That all came out from fundamental fundamentalism, Islam, right? So what does that mean for us? Like, do, is, are all Muslims terrorists? No, the vast majority of Muslims are not terrorists. And in fact, if you look at um, um, studies done, we're probably, the U.S. is probably contributing to a lot of terrorism, um, like helping people become terrorists because people are in very, very um, desperate situations. They have no money, they have no food, the U.S. is invaded. Um, and, the, uh, and then the terrorist group are basically saying, if you help the Americans, um, we'll kill you. And so they start becoming terrorists. Or a young man loses his father to American soldiers fighting, and so he decides to become a terrorist because he has nothing to lose. Right? And I get this. On the American side, it's a, it's, it's a messed up thing. But the fact of the matter is the world is really messed up. Right? So we're going to see more and more terrorism activity. You're going to see more and more hatred towards Muslims. And you guys, as, a, as the church, have to make a decision on what your response will be. Get it? Christians are afraid and hate Muslims. They think they're the enemy. They're one of the last great giants in the world. Uh, there's this guy uh, named Otis who wrote um, The Last of the Giants. And basically, there's like there were, he stated like there was five. Like animism is one of them. Uh, Buddhism. Buddhism is done. Buddhism is on its way out. Pretty neat. Hinduism, it's on its way out. Christianity is invading India. And uh, it, there's not much Hinduism outside of India. Right? Um, Christianity is invading China and Korea. Um, there's, and, and of course, communism stomped out a lot of Buddhism. Buddhism is almost over. Um, communism is almost over. Because with the advent of all of these South American countries that are going bankrupt, and then, of course, the Soviet Union. Um, uh, the only communist country that's doing fairly well is China, and that's because China is becoming a lot more capitalist, more money-driven, right? They're not bankrupt. And so the last one is Islam. There's 1.3 billion Muslims in the world. And like I just told you that story about Ahmed, ISIS and ISIL, because of their atrocities, their craziness, man. Social media has done a lot of things for the changing of people's hearts. It's weird, because ISIS and ISIL, you know how they're recruiting? They're using YouTube videos. They're using social media to recruit, to get people to become terrorists from all over. Um, I think uh, out of the Western countries, Australia is this, uh, they send the most um, Muslim kids uh, that join ISIS out of all the Western countries. Isn't that crazy? Out of Australia. They're not white kids, they're Muslim kids. Uh, or um, from that, that area, that region, but they live in Australia, and they, they're, as soon as they graduate high school, they're, they're flying over to Syria to join ISIS. But they're using social media to, to, to get to these kids. 
right? But you know what's also interesting? Is it's biting them back because the rest of the world through media, through news, they're able to see what ISIS is doing and the Muslim world is not, they're really, really, really confused. Because this is the thing, the vast majority of Muslims, like kids that you know, right, in your schools that are Muslim, right, they don't agree with what ISIS is doing. And when they hear about what ISIS is doing, they're grieved. They're saddened by what ISIS is doing. And so what they start to do is what they start to question their faith. Right, imagine this. You guys know Westboro Baptist Church? God hates fags, right, that church. What if you found out that the true church, that what the Bible was teaching was what Westboro Baptist Church was doing? Would you question your faith? I mean, just honestly, would you question your faith? I would. I'd be like, no, thank you. That's not what I signed up for. Think about what, what Islam, what's happening to Islam. All of a sudden, they're watching all of this news, and ISIS and ISIL, uh, same group, they're saying that this is what true Islam is, and if you do not follow our path, and this is what Sharia law is, if you do not follow our path, then you are not walking the way of Islam, of Allah. You are apostate, which means you are like a heretic. You are someone that's not a part of the, the, the true Islam. Isn't that interesting? And so Muslims are starting to come to the Lord in droves all over the world. They meet missionaries, they start talking to, Je talk to them about Jesus, and they get saved. The Holy Spirit is showing up in dreams to all of these people, to, like, to, to tons of Muslims. Uh, I had a vision that Isa al-Masih, Jesus the Messiah, came to me in the dream, and he says, go and talk to this guy. And so he'll go and talk to this guy, come to find out that guy's a missionary, the guy tells him about Jesus, the guy becomes a Christian, a radical Christian. And a lot of them are dying, martyrs, 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 getting killed. But the fact of the, world, the, fact of the matter is God is on the move with Muslims. And like what I was saying in the beginning, we have to choose what to do. Now, some of you guys are thinking, well, I'm not going to buy an airline ticket to Syria or Iraq. My parents would not let me. That's fine, but they're here in your backyard. Muslims are here in your backyard. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. There's huge communities. Uh, Trevor showed me this apartment complex that he goes to visits all the time. The whole place is a bunch of Bhutanese refugees. You know Bhutan, it, it, it's a, a, one, uh, a visa for a day. One day is $200 to get into that country. You have to pay $200 just to stay in that country for one day. And you can't go anywhere. Like they have a tour guide. It's kind of like North Korea. It's like the most like, uh, you know, closed nation in the world. And there's an entire apartment complex filled with Bhutanese people in Colombia, South Carolina. How weird is that? There's entire communities that are like that with you know, Afghan refugees. We got to find them. Two, two more stories and then we're done. Uh, Rivka, uh, Barry, um, Sharon, have you started reading that book yet? Hiding in the Light is a story about a girl named Rivka Barry. She's a Muslim girl from Sri Lanka. Her parents were fundamentalist Muslims. They, come to the, they moved to the States. And get this, her parents will not, of course, let her go out um, because you know, she's a Muslim girl. To be a good Muslim girl, you don't hang out. You don't do things. You just cook and clean and all that kind of stuff, right? So eventually her friend, she meets a friend at school. She doesn't have any friends in school, but this one girl is really, really friendly, pretty, and popular, and Korean, oddly enough. And she says, the, they, she says, hey, do you want to be my partner for this science lab or whatever? And the girl was like, yeah. You know, uh, you know, she asked Rivka, and Rivka was like, yeah. And then the second question she asked, are you a Christian? I don't know why she would ask her why she's a Christian. That was the second question that she asked, are you a Christian? And Rivka, because she's scared and wants friends, says yes. And they start hanging out and talking, and then uh, after school, right after school, you know, she, she lies to her parents' study session or whatever. She goes to a, a cafe, and they talk, and she says, I just need to tell you the truth. I'm not a Christian. I'm actually a Muslim. 
And so this Korean girl is like, that's fine. Well, let's talk and hang out. And they start talking about faith. Uh, the Korean girl shares her testimony, tells her that like, you should come to church with me. And so Rivka says, I'll go to church with you. So she lies to her parents again. I'm going someplace to study or whatever, you know. Um, I think we all kind of know what that feels like. And uh, she goes to this church. She, gets rat- she goes to a Korean church. She goes to a youth group, a Korean-American youth group. And uh, this Korean girl tells all her friends, and they all gather around her and be her friend like that immediately. And then the guy, the pastor preaches the message, youth pastor preaches the message, and she gets radically saved. And then the rest of the book is her running for her life because her parents are trying to kill her. Yeah, no joke. Right? I just wanted to tell that story because <laughs> Korean-American church. <laughs> Some of you guys in here are Korean. <laughs> Bring Muslims. Yeah. <laughs> we'll hang out with them. <laughs> Um, yeah, so they're, they're in your backyard. Uh, read the book. It's called Hiding in, the, Hiding in the Light. It's a real easy read. Uh, really, really good. Hiding in the Light. Rifka Berry, R-I-F-Q-A. Um, Berry is like B-A-R-R-Y. Um, and then the, the last thing I want to say is like, so like some of you guys are probably thinking, well, how do I talk to a Muslim because you, you act like they're an alien? It's like homosexuals too, or LGBT community. You think they're aliens, but they're actually human beings. It's kind of cool. So when you talk to them, uh, with Muslims, I think it's much easier than talking to LGBT because LGBT, they just want to know, do you hate me and do you think I'm going to hell, right? If you say, no, I don't think you're, I, I don't hate you and I don't want to talk about hell, I want to talk about, my, you know, what Jesus is doing in my life, then all of a sudden you can get, get in. Muslims are way, way easier. They want to talk about Jesus. They want to talk about spiritual things. It's amazing. Uh, did you know that Josh Cooper, anybody in here know Josh Cooper, right? He's meeting with an imam weekly, not to become a Muslim. Uh, but because he wants to learn about Islam and to convert the Muslim, the Imam, <laughs> to tell them about Jesus. And so they, t- they discuss Islam and Christianity every week. Isn't that cool? And he got invited to Ramadan dinner. And so he went to dinner. Ra- Ramadan's the, the fast uh, month. They fast for a month. They can't have sex. They can't have food. They can't have water. Uh, they can't smoke. They can't basically do anything that, you know, normal, I guess, adult men want to do. Uh, women, I guess, are fine, except for the water and food part. Um, but they can't until sundown. After sundown, then it's like a party, man. If you go to Ramadan house, or like someone that's you know, celebrating Ramadan, they party. No alcohol, because they're Muslim. But they party. Like, they, they're eating so much food. and Yeah, <laughs> hitting the hookah, right? And it, 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 there's, there's music going on late at night, right? Because then the next day, it's like misery until you know, sundown. And, of course, Ramadan, they're celebrating Ramadan right now. And it's the summer, so it doesn't become sundown until like 9 o'clock at night, so it sucks. I'd celebrate Ramadan in the winter when it gets dark at 4. Like, yes! <laughs> Anywho, that's just me. Um, all right, so talk to them about your relationship with Jesus, your testimony. That makes a huge impact because you know what Muslims really honestly think about us? They think that we're not spiritual at all. Even though we call ourselves Christians, we never talk about Jesus. You know why we do that in the U.S.? Because we think our religion is something that's private. They think it's private. We think it's private. And we don't talk about religion. I've heard this comedian, Jim Gaffigan, talks about when you walk, to, walk into a room or whatever, you want to make it awkward, say the name <coughs> Jesus. I mean, as long as they're not like Hispanic or whatever, you know, like Jesus, they'd be okay. But like you walk into a room, a, bu- a bunch of people, you say Jesus, people are like, hey, you want to talk about Jesus? I'd rather not, right? Because it becomes really awkward. But in Muslim culture, man, they want to talk about your spirituality. They want to know what you think about Jesus or, or, you know, what this Christianity thing is about. They will talk to you about it. Number two, show them every time you see them that you're spiritual. This is really important. Have you noticed like when we're around a bunch of unbelievers, we don't pray for our food, right? 
They're like, I'll just pray for it by myself. Or Catherine Williams, when she drops the catch packet and bends down to pray so that nobody knows. <laughs> she's like, she, she drops it. She's like, Jesus, thank you for my food. Amen. And then she eats. <laughs> That's what she did. <laughs> she like, Catherine, if you're hearing this, I'm sorry. Um, Catherine Williams, it was awesome. Um, you know, we, we feel really awkward. But with Muslims, it's like they're looking at you. They're watching you. Okay, we're about to eat. They're like, he didn't pray. He didn't pray. Christians, they don't, they're not devout. They immediately think that. Isn't that crazy? Uh, so show them every time you see them that you're spiritual. Number three, talk about your intimacy with Jesus. This, does not, this blows their mind. Their minds are just going, Kukush. you're like, hey, so I was praying this morning. I really felt like you know, Jesus was telling me that I really need to reach out to this person. And they're just like this. Like, Jesus, what? What? Right? Because there's no, there's no connection between Allah and them. Like this, this intimacy that we, we oftentimes feel. Now, obviously, I'm talking about Christians here. If you're not Christians and not intimate with Jesus, then this probably doesn't make sense at all. You guys might be like, you know, that. Okay, uh, number four, pray for them in front of them and away from them. Okay? Uh, some of you guys might not like Muslims. They might be rude to you. Uh, one friend of mine, he, when he met uh, with a Muslim for, us, uh, for a project in college, in Bible college, um, he had dinner with a bunch of Muslims, like three or four Muslims, right? And then he had three friends, and they all hung out. They were all doing this project, and they wanted to do research on Muslims and what they believed and how they were acclimating to the United States as they're refugees. And the kid, he had a panic attack. All he saw was images of 9-11 and the buildings collapsing and the airplanes going in. He couldn't talk. He just had flashbacks, and he was just sitting there. And all his friends had no idea, no clue. They were just all talking, discussing, right? And he was really, really, like, angry. He was getting angrier and angrier. In case that you guys have ever felt that way or felt real extreme prejudice against Muslims, praying for people, man, it softens your heart. If you hate somebody in here, pray for them. Pray God's blessing on them, not that God would curse them and smite them, okay? Pray for them in front of them, and that, that's really impressive because a lot of Muslims, they're like, yes, pl- you can pray in Jesus' name. Like, I know you're a Christian. You can pray for me because they, they want more of God, right? Oh, oh, the other thing is Muslims don't think that Christians are different than, than them. Um, they know that we are um, different, but they think we worship the same God. They think Allah and God are the same, our God and their God. Interesting, right? Um, so they don't have a problem if you pray in Jesus' name for them. And then uh, number uh, uh, five, be a student of what they believe. I love that Josh Cooper, because Josh Cooper's doing the Amazing Race. Uh, amazing Race? He's doing the uh, Around the World thing. He's mi- being a missionary for 11, 11 years, uh, 11 months or whatever. 11 years. He'll be back in 11 years. Um, he's going around the world, and he's going to a lot of Muslim countries, so he was like, I need to learn about Muslims. And so that's when he went to find that imam and started hanging out with that imam every week, right? Um, be a student. So the imam's like, hey, are you, are you here trying to convert me? And of course, Josh wanted to be like, yes, I am. <laughs> you will become a Christian. But instead, he says, well, I'm, I want to be a student. I want to learn what you guys teach and all that kind of stuff. And when he went to Ramadan, the dinner, all the, he was the only non-Muslim. All the Muslims were like, what are you here for? Are you a Muslim? Are you wanting to become a Muslim? He's like, no, not really. I'm just visiting, just wanting to learn, right? Be a student. Learn. Uh, don't, don't be argumentative because arguments will never win. I was telling Josh, like, he was really worried that he doesn't know what to say to this imam because this imam is really smart and knows theology and all this kind of stuff. He says, I don't know what to say. I'm like, you're not going to convince him. Just show him that you love him and that you love Jesus and Jesus is real to you and, you know, that, that that'll go a lot, lot farther than, than arguing with him. He can read a book on, a, on Muslim apologetics and it'll be okay, right? And then number, five, uh, number six, invite them to spiritu- your spiritual events and go to theirs with them. So if you get invited to Ramadan, go. And, and you're going to get this from parents. Like, you're going to go where? 
You know, like if you tell them, like I remember when Josh wanted to go to Buddhist temple, our church like freaked out. Like they thought he was going to be like, you know, <laughs> not a monk, but that he was going to pick up demons or all that kind of stuff, right? But it is very, very clear that Paul is just like, you know, like, hey, you know, we don't have to worry about that kind of stuff, you know? And so J- Josh Cooper also went to a, a Buddhist monastery like, you know, a while ago in, 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 in Augusta. And the church was flipping out. So you might have people, you know, be really up in arms about it. You know, it's, it's not like that, man. The, the best times I've ever had um, overseas are with Muslims, man. They, they bring me into their house and they feed me food and they offer me their daughters to marry them and take them to the U.S. and make them Americans or something. And, you know, like, <laughs> like it's, it's, aside from the daughter part, that was awkward. It's really, like, it's like really fun, good food and hang out. And they're, they're really, really hospitable. Is that good? Is that really simple? Now, this is the deal. This is the deal. I know, I know that you guys might be thinking this is something that, you know, like, um, it's not really, you know, meaning that much to me. But I want to encourage you guys, especially this week if you're on the mission retreat, um, to start thinking in terms of the mission of God. The mission of God, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow night. But in terms of the mission of God, the, the, the whole job that we have um, been tasked with to, to spread the gospel throughout the whole world. You need to start thinking in terms of how do I shape my life in order to bring about the mission of God. And so you hearing about Muslims, become a student of Muslims. You hear about LGBT, make LGBT friends. Right? Get into conversations. Start praying for them. Start reading books. Become, become students of the mission of God. The big, the big issues in our community, in our society, and what to do about it. Do not be passive. I know some of you guys in here are already checked out. You're like, I want to eat lunch. I get it. But do it, right? Because some of you guys have been in the same position in your whole spiritual life. I want to know God more, and nothing happens. But I guarantee you, man, you start reaching out uh, to people that are broken, and you start to talk about Jesus in a way that you know will save their life and heal their brokenness, Jesus will come alive to you far beyond your ever your imagining. You know what I'm saying? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much that, uh, that you've come to save the lost and that you use us. And I, I've, I've been praying this a lot lately, but I just pray that you would not give us a spirit of fear, just like you say in Timothy. That you've not given us a spirit, a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Help us to be intentional God, about showing love to, to healing the broken, to freeing the captives, the spiritual captives, the broken people in our community. Open our eyes. Maybe we haven't noticed before, never tried to talk to a Muslim. I just pray that you would give us conversations, divine appointments, left and right. Just pray that tomorrow as we go and minister into these, these neighborhoods, God, that we would find families that are Muslims and that we would become friends with them and, and have long-term relationships with them and not just this week. Just thank you for everybody in this room, God, that is willing um, to follow hard after you. Just pray that you would bless them and show them that you're there. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Offering bucket is over there. Discussion questions. Share a time when you had an emergency. How did you respond? And this is in terms of fear, okay? Um, If you have ever had an accident, anything that that happened. Number two, uh, for those that responded calmly, 